Bam 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 Whenever you want to start rolling. Yeah, we're rolling. Oh, oh this good. is going to be a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the shit show. Oh, God. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. Go help yourself. Go help yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Misty Stinnett. I'm Lisa Linky. This is a podcast where we review a popular self-help book each episode, and we talk about how we feel about it, basically... We're reading the book so you don't have to. You can go on with your very busy life and still get that perspective-altering shift that everybody's craving in today's busy world. Yes, and if you love what you hear, you can then go ahead and spend the money on it to get all the juice out of it that we won't be able to cover in the duration of this podcast. Yeah, people, we're not miracle workers here. You may still have to read the book, but we're going to do our best. I can barely get out of bed. That's right. Same. Um, (laughs) So let's talk about why we wanted to start this podcast. Yeah, let's talk about it. So mostly I just wanted to trick Lisa into hanging out with me more. (laughs) Well, consider me tricked. And here she is sitting across from me. So Mm -hmm. mission accomplished. Uh, I can walk away. But no, really, um, I, I, a couple years ago quit a very good job and wanted to find more meaning and purpose and joy in my life. And I had never really read a self-help book before. And suddenly I found myself reading like 20 self-help books a year, just trying to figure out how can I be happier? How can I, my home life be better? How can I decorate my apartment in a better way? Oh yeah. All of these things. And, um, I feel like I I really could have used a resource like this podcast mm-hmm. to sort of listen in and get somebody else's viewpoint on it, a space where people could talk about it openly, because I do feel like as far as Western culture is concerned, we are all at the apex of what mental health has been. And it's at more open than it's ever been in culture before. And um, we're still fucked. We're totally fucked. No, we're completely <laughs> fucked. No, right? I, and I say that a little in gesture, but like truthfully, there's a lot of anxiety happening, yeah. and people uh, are reaching for a lot of self help books. Um, I want you to write a self help book on how to read twenty books a year. Oh, they're all audiobooks. Okay. I should say. So Lisa and I live in Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know about you, but I am in my car a like. Lot. 16 hours a week. I oh, mean, it's wow. like a part-time job. It is. Yeah. And so I can get through a lot of audiobooks here. I don't know if everyone would count that as reading, but I do because I need to count it as reading. I'm going to count it as reading. And that's how I understand now how you read. I'm using quotes, read, just mm-hmm. kidding, 20 books a year. And I think that's fantastic. I, in the car, like to listen to NPR and news and then mm-hmm. give myself reason to need a lot more anxiety-reducing um, necessities like self-help books. That being said, I wanted to do this podcast with you because when you approached me, I was like, um, you said, do you like self-help books? And I remember I said, oh, I hate them Mm -hmm. Um, because (laughs) I have, uh, I'm I'm from the Midwest. I have a healthy disregard for for authority. I hate anybody telling me what to do ever. Like, for example, when Old Navy first came out, um, this dates me, um, people were like, you've got to go to Old Navy. It's amazing. And I was like, fuck you. Don't tell me what to do. And for a solid 10 years, I wouldn't go into an Old Navy. You're like, I'm sticking with wet seal and you can't stop me. (laughs) 
forget it. That's amazing. No, I was just like, don't tell me where to shop. Don't tell me what to do. And as a consequence, I missed out on some really good deals. Totally. And I, on the other hand, veer way towards the other end of the spectrum. I have always tried to be like a teacher's pet and a people pleaser Mm -hmm. and want like a pat on the back and a gold star for whatever I'm doing. I'm those too. I just also hate them while I'm doing it. Right. And so for me, it's more like I'm terrified if anything were to go the other way. So that's part of the reason I'm so into self-help books is like, I wish I were that rebellious kid where when someone's like, okay, everybody sit in your desk. They're like, why? Why should I sit here? Like, that's how I hope my kids will be. That's how I wish I were more of. So um, that's perfect. So we're like the perfect yin and yang. Ying and yang, I think it is. I believe it's yin and yang. Listen, I don't know. I'm I guess that's on my list. I'm going to yes and you. It's yin and yang. Thank you. We're we're like salt and pepper for this because you come at it with a healthy like reverence and I come at it with a healthy distrust from the get-go. Totally. Uh, and so with between the two of us, I feel like we'll give an accurate assessment uh, about these books. Absolutely. So uh, just to tell you how it's going to go, every week we're going to take turns telling each mm-hmm. other about a self-help book we've read that week. So mm-hmm. I'm going first in this inaugural episode. Really hope I don't uh, fuck it up too much. But you if won't. I do, who cares? We're doing this to have fun and, and have listen, more joy in our life. Listening is half the battle over here. Half of this rests on me. That's right. I'm so feeling I, the pressure. <laughs> yeah, you should, because I'm going to fully blame you if this goes down the toilet. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay, so without further ado, mm-hmm. the book I am covering this week is one that I've heard about for a really long time, yes. but have never read, and yes. I am so excited to tell you about it. It is called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, A Counterintuitive Approach to Living a Good Life by Mark Manson. Yes, I have to tell you already, I love it because it says <laughs> fuck in it, which is, as my mom says, probably my favorite word. Oh, really? Okay, well, get ready because I'm going to say it about a hundred more times this podcast. So we should say right now, we have no intentions of making this like a PG or PG-13 no. podcast. So if you are listening with small kids around, et cetera. Too late. Put, We've already said it like seven times. That's right, kids. And you just, you save that word until you're grown, okay? You can say it as much as you want, but not right now. I say say it right now. I'll get used to it. Well, that's the thing. Can I just say as a tangent, I've never understood why we tell kids don't swear because they're just going to immediately swear when they get into a certain age. So why is it this unacceptable thing? It's a conundrum. Yeah. There's nothing funnier than a toddler swearing. Oh my God, it's the best. And yet there's nothing more disgusting than a parent who encourages their toddler to swear. (laughs) Double standards. Okay, it's not fair. It's not fair. Our favorite thing. Should we also introduce our our producer? Yes, everybody on the cans, as Lisa likes to put it, (laughs) in the back is Matt Sav, who is our fabulous uh, audio producer. He's waving. You can't see him. I'm going to describe it. He's smiling. He looks great. He's got a polo on. He looks very put together. All right. So a little bit about the author, Mark Manson, because I feel like if we are going to maybe potentially take some of these people's advice, we should know where they come from. I want to know. Yeah. So uh, uh, according to Wikipedia, which is my only source for this. I donate annually. Please do so. I do too as well. Yes, you should. Um, He's from Austin, Texas. He has a degree in finance from Boston uh, University. And he started a blog in 2009 as a marketing channel for a dating advice business and later shifted to blogging full time after it took off. So he already, I already know that he doesn't give a fuck. He does. He's Texan. B, he was working for Wall Street, and C, he created a dating app. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like <laughs> a dating don't... advice business. And so it sounds like he's kind of been all over the place. Uh, How many cool. fucks do he give? Zero. No fucks. Thank no you. fucks, really. And also, um, something to note is that Elizabeth Gilbert, the mm-hmm. author of Eat, Pray, Love, mm-hmm. um, who may come up in another episode, mm-hmm. cites him in her book, oh. uh, in her book, Big Magic, which is really cool. So mm-hmm. um, he really has started to take off in the self-help world. So uh, I wanted to talk really quickly about my first impression of this book before uh, we dive in. So it's unlike any self-help book I've read so far. Because well, first of all, it cusses. It cusses a hundred. Yeah. Everything else is like, you are amazing and life is fabulous and you will get everything you want. And he's like, yeah, no, that's not going to fucking work (laughs) is basically his attitude. So I may be on board. Right. Yeah. I I actually think you will. And that's why I was so excited to pick this one in particular to tell you. So, um, it's super straightforward. It can come off as abrasive. And mm-hmm. I think particular, he says the word fuck a million times throughout the book. I love this book. particularly in the first chapter. Yes. So there's like 50 times he says oh, it. Oh, I want this book. So if that's a deal breaker for you, this book's not for you. But if that's up your alley or you can tolerate it, I actually think there are a lot of profound pieces mm. of perspective. So what does this book look like? Like what if I'm going to carry around the subtle art of not giving up, but. What does it look like? Yeah, so it's bright orange and in bold type, taking up the entire cover. It's like the subtle art of not giving a fuck. It says fuck. Well, no, no, it's F asterisk CK. Okay. But I mean, everybody's going to know. So if you do not want to be on, say, public transportation or if you're reading this book in public and you don't want everyone to know that you're trying to not give as many fucks or you just don't want to be broadcasting (laughs) that word around, you might want to take the cover off. You could also fake it with like... A super amazing book that everybody tells you you should read, but you don't want to, like mm-hmm. The Grapes of Wrath or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever that classic That would definitely book work is. for like a hardcover for a paperback. You're probably going to have to put some duct tape over that bad boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then everyone will just think you're a serial killer. So or just no problem. Yes, or just rip off the cover or, you know, read it on your candle. On your candle. On your candle. Is that powered by flame? No, your candle. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, Chapter one, the first chapter is called Don't Try. I love this guy. I know, I know you do. I know you're going to love this. So he basically starts the book off by talking about how our culture today is focused on these really unrealistic, positive expectations. Oh my God, I want to date this guy. I know, I know. He's (laughs) cute. He's cute too. Hey, Mark Manson. Okay. Are you related to Marilyn or Charles? Yes. I I tried to think of another Manson. I couldn't do it. Um, so it's all like every self-help book and I can attest to this cause I've, I've listened and read a lot of them is like, here's how to be happier, healthier, richer, more centered, more focused at work. Like it's all on that positive thing. But Mark basically says that the problem with this is while we're constantly trying to focus on what we want more of, it's a constant reminder of what we lack. Oh my God. I love him. Yes. yes. Mark, wherever you are, I love you. Totally. And he says he says the key uh, the key to a good life is not giving a fuck about more. It's about giving a fuck about less, only giving a fuck about what is true and immediate and important. Mm. So despite the book's title, it really he's he says like there's you have to give a fuck about something in life. Mm -hmm. You cannot be totally indifferent to life. Mm -hmm. It's all about what you actually give a fuck about. Mm. That matters. Interesting. So one of the first things he jumps into that I can relate to so hard. It's called the feedback loop from hell. Okay. So it's basically we have an emotion like anger or sadness or guilt, and then we compound that emotion 
by feeling guilty for feeling so guilty or angry oh, for feeling so angry. I call that doubling down. Yes. I call yes. it the double down. Oh, and that works too. You should copyright that. Yeah. Sorry. Don't anybody repeat that. Yeah, right. It's already trademarked. Thank you. You can mm-hmm. buy it at our merch shop. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically like, oh God, I'm worried about how much I'm worrying all the time. And we work ourselves into this tizzy because we have been, the messaging we receive is you should only feel positive or if you're feeling mm. sad, you should cheer yourself up, those sorts of things. So, yeah, and this really, really I really relate to this because I um, grew up in, in the Midwest and in the Midwest, we often don't have time for feelings because cows need to get milked and, you know, plows need to get plown. There you go. <laughs> Fields need to get plowed. <laughs> but I do like plown. Um, is that a real thing? That's not. Wow. Plows need to get plown? Yeah. No, that is not a real thing. Fields need to get plowed. Nothing. Plows need to get out of the barn and, yeah. you know, working. But the, my point is <laughs> that oftentimes, and I don't think it's just in the Midwest, but I do feel that um, oftentimes we are not taught emotional intelligence. And if you don't have family members who exhibit emotional intelligence, you are just kind of left on your own. Yes. So when you feel guilty or when you feel shame or when you feel anger and people don't have a you don't have a support system to help you kind of navigate that um, and people get angry or guilty or whatever then you do double down then you do get in that feedback loop from hell yes and um uh, it's it's an awful feeling and I think we we demonstrate it to children you know I shouldn't be angry ugh, or like I'm so mad that he makes me mad like these are all things that we've all said but it doesn't help anything it doesn't and I think there's something else is that whenever we see someone cry we try to hand them a tissue and find a way to dry their tears and cheer them up, mm-hmm. et cetera, as opposed to giving them the full dignity of their experience, right? Sometimes you just need to cry and it's much healthier to let it out <laughs> than to stifle it halfway through. I just want everybody who's listening to this, including us, mm-hmm. that the next time we're crying and somebody says, don't cry or hands us a tissue, I just want us to, as best we can, <laughs> say, I am experiencing the dignity of crying and I need you to honor that. Because I won't be able to get it out, but I do love that if I can shame somebody, I'm here for it. I'm all. I'm all about shaming people. That's really what this podcast is all about. <laughs> right? So so he he goes on to say like you we all need to accept the fact that feeling shitty and feeling down is just a part of the human experience yeah. and it's totally fine and and we can short circuit this feedback loop by giving less fucks. So if you are going I feel really really guilty about something I've done, fuck it, who cares? And that's present for me. Like, that's just present. Mm -hmm. There it is. Okay, moving on. Because Mm -hmm. it literally does not serve you at all to stay in perpetuating these emotions. Now, here's my question right out of the gate. I'm assuming that a better portion of his book is what to do with that on the other side of that. Mm. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, because there's just a lot of people being like, I really feel bad that I cheated on my ex. You know what? There it is. So you... (laughs) I have to say, for never having read this book, you keep setting me up for the most perfect segues. So, <gasps> yes. Yeah, so, my next little note, I've got my notes right here in front of me. My next note is that Mark Manson's thesis for this book mm-hmm. is basically summed up in this quote. Quote, the desire for a more positive experience is in itself a negative experience. Ooh. And the acceptance of a negative experience is in itself a positive experience. Is this guy like his own... Derivation of like Buddhism or something. Do you know he's only 35? I hate him. I know. (laughs) 
I mean, I don't. I don't hate you. I loved you earlier. I wanted to know if you wanted we to We hate date. you in like the fun way. But like, <laughs> I also, I'm just going to put this out there. Listen, part of why I hate self-help books mm-hmm. is because it's it almost sounds like a platitude, right? Right, yes. And I will say that if you, I'm, I'm assuming a lot about this person, but knowing that he was able to um, go to college and work in finance and start an app and then quit that life and then blog and sustain himself and now do this tells me that he has had some privilege. And so it's easy to come from a privileged place and say, you know, I don't need to feel guilty Right. Because it doesn't serve me. Mm-hmm. I don't need to feel shame because it doesn't serve me. Right. That's a certain kind of experience that can do that with ease. I'm not saying that everybody doesn't deserve to do that, but I think that it's easier for some people than others. When there's like systemic oppression and things like that happening, I think it's it's a harder ask for some. Absolutely. I agree. He he does talk about um he does talk about uh, the death of one of his friends when he was a teenager, how that really shaped him, his kind of terrible upbringing and his parents' divorce and all of those things. So I think I think he's definitely drawn to this area or so he implies okay. mm-hmm. because he's grappled with a lot of this stuff. But of course, it's easy to sort of give advice just through the lens with which you view the world, right? Yes. Oh, Misty, this is why I hate self-help books. <laughs> because if somebody <laughs> says to me, you know what worked for me, I immediately want them to shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... I'm different than you. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you've helped me figure out the crux of why I hate them. We did that so fast, you guys. Yeah, it's well, this done. Is, listen, Lisa's healed. It was really great being here. Um, enjoy Goodbye. the rest of your podcast. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just be here talking to myself. So yeah, so this book reminds me a lot of like my time in therapy because mm-hmm. rather than trying to change everything, and there are some things he suggests changing, which we'll get to, but it's more about accepting where you are. So he talks about Mm -hmm. we all live in this culture of everyone's highlight reels are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Everyone seems like they're having this fabulous fucking life. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here like picking Cheeto dust off of my sweatpants that I haven't changed out of in three days. I literally pulled a cracker out of my bra on the way here. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you turn away from that mic when you laugh. Give me a full laugh. I did. I sampled a cracker at Bristol Farms. Part of it fell into my bra, and I debated in the middle of that aisle, do I dig for it? I said, no, I wait till I get in my car. So but listen. then did you eat it when you got into oh, your car? It, no, I threw it out because oh, that right. was swampy. That's just a wasted cracker. That was, was it was swampy. That's so fair. I, I think that you're you're right, right? Like, mm-hmm. And people have – you've heard of Finsta accounts, right? No. Fake Insta? Yes. People have fake Insta accounts. So they have the one that they promote that everybody sees. Then they have a fake one where they post what's really going on. And very few people see that. Oh, so it's like this outlet for real self-expression and actually being like, I'm sad today and I forgot to put mascara on my left eye. Yeah. And that's how I'm walking through the world. Are you saying that because you're looking at my lashes and I'm getting No, your lashes are always beautiful. One side is completely down. So yes, like especially in college, they'll have an Insta that is like, everything is amazing. Everything is amazing. And then their Finsta will be just their close-knit group of friends. And it shows when they're hungover. It shows when they're like late to class. It shows when they're drunk. It's amazing. My question is, why have two? Like, why is it not okay to just have the one? Or you know what I mean? I think the one of what you said. One, the, because there's this the pressure. pressure to put out that everything is amazing. Wow. Everything is awesome. We don't have the rights to that. 
That was a parody. It's under the free use Thank law. Thank you. Everybody. It was for educational purposes. Totally. So uh, one of the quotes at the beginning of this book that really threw me in the mm-hmm. first like five minutes I was listening to it was um, it's from a philosopher named Albert Camus. And I'm sure I messed that name no, up. No, it's Camus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ca- oh, it's Camus mm-hmm. like Shamu. Mm-hmm. It, this is That's from, exactly how he introduced This is himself. straight from SeaWorld. Mm-hmm. You will never be happy if you continue to search for what happiness consists of. And you will never live if you are looking for the meaning of life. So basically, learn to be present in the moment. I guess. But that this really freaked me out because I was listening to this for a podcast to try and have more meaning in my life. And and literally literally reading all these books to go, what's happiness? How can I get it? Why don't I have more of it? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so fuck Camus. Yeah, so I was like, I guess I should just shut this whole thing down right now. Um, but he also mentions, so this is, we're still in the intro. It's like, he also mentions how when you finally don't give a fuck about anything, that's generally when you succeed at it. Like how many times do we know people who just go in and are like, I don't care if I get the job, like hire me or don't. And then they, they excel so much. Well, when you detach from the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then he ends the intro by saying, uh, he points out by saying, and by the way, us and everyone we know will be dead someday and someday soon. And that's why we need to stop giving a fuck about the small things. Wow. That's yeah. ballsy because I would want to put down the book and never read it again. Be oh, like, re- I'm running out of time. Yeah. No, 100, 100%. I don't have time to read this book. I got to go conquer the world. But mm-hmm. um, I I think that's so true. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't until the sudden death of my dad that I was like, oh, I guess get that life is short. I'd mm-hmm. heard that. I thought I understood it intellectually. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly my dad was gone one day permanently, irrevocably. Yeah. And I went, oh, right. This is going to happen to everyone I know around yeah. me and myself. And suddenly it, life had this sort of impermanence that it didn't have before, before that event. So um, I think if somebody hasn't lost someone in that way Mm -hmm. that might be harder to understand but I think for the people who have we're all like nodding really vehemently as we're listening to this like oh yes no that's true and every time I sit there and remember like oh no like I don't need to get worked up that Mm -hmm. that my Roomba missed my living room and got stuck under the couch like that's not that's a stupid thing to get you know frustrated about it yeah I hear you so uh on to Oh, I guess that was that chapter one. Okay, chapter two mm-hmm. is called "Happiness Is a Problem." Well, I have a, before I, I go forward. Yeah, I want to ask a quick question. Like, what did I mean? Obviously, the cover of this book and like what it says is kind of indicative of what you would experience. But from the get go, were you kind of like, "Yes, this is what I thought. This is what I thought it would be." Well, I actually my gut reaction was, "Oh, he's trying a little too hard for okay. shock value." Okay. Because he says the word fuck a million times. And of course, I've like distilled this down to its essence. But as soon as he started getting into like, oh, and also we all die one day and you need to keep that in mind. I was like, that's okay, so yeah. maybe he's he's speaking my language here. Okay, that's perfect. So chapter two, and, and by the way, he does lay off of the shock value moments. There's a few sprinkled in, mm-hmm, you know, throughout mm-hmm. the book. But like it, he gets a bit more sincere and dropped in as we go, which I really like. And on a scale of like, Practical Patty mm-hmm. to Woo Woo Wanda. Wanda. <laughs> practical Patty to Woo Woo Wanda. Where do you say this fits in? Oh my God, so practical. Okay. So this guy, just wait. My God, he is such a realist. Okay. Thank um, you. I so, like to. Know, I like to know that. Right. About yes. a book. Me too. Me too. Because some of them, and I'm not super woo woo. Mm-hmm. I actually wish I were a little more woo woo. Mm-hmm. But we're hopefully going to cover so many books. Yeah. From every aspect. Yeah. Um, 
and really dive into what we really believe in. Well, it's also interesting if you pick up a book expecting it to be practical, Patty, and suddenly they're like, place place your favorite crystal on your root chakra. And you're like, I don't have crystals. Where is your root chakra? Is that your butt? Oh, no. Where is it? It's not your butt, but I do love that you thought it was your butt. Well, it's like, it's at the bottom. It's like rooted. It's like at, at your sex, basically. Oh, oh. Yeah, it's like well, at the bottom. But maybe not easier your to get a crystal in there. Okay. <clears throat> Just not a pointy one. Moving forward. So Manson says, we get into trouble when we think of happiness as an equation to be solved. So a lot of times we think, yes. if I get X, yes. I'll be happy. Oh my God, it- snaps. <laughs> if I only do X, right. then I will get happy. Or if I achieve Y, yes. I'll be happy. Yes, then my life can start. Totally, yeah, totally. But he says that dis- dissatisfaction and unease are parts of human nature mm-hmm. and parts of the human experience Mm -hmm. and they're necessary for achieving more consistent satisfaction in life so he Mm. says we suffer because everybody suffers even if we're not posting it on instagram we suffer because suffering is biologically useful so basically necessity is the mother of invention yes absolutely because it's the dissatisfied creature Mm -hmm. that is going to take initiative to Mm -hmm. improve themselves and work hard at life Mm -hmm. and this is the creature that will survive and thrive i love that so just really reframing the way that you can tell that both Misty and I have been in therapy, really reframing the way that you think about dissatisfaction instead of something is wrong with me. Oh no, something is right with me. This is the human experience. Yes, and without this, I might die. Yeah. I might be totally lost. Yeah, right? or I will just stay stagnant. Totally, and so so he says pain is what teaches us what to pay attention to yes. and what to avoid, and it's useful when it's both physical and psychological. So for instance, when you touch a hot stove, you learn not to touch a hot stove again, or right? Or you learn that you was- love it, and it becomes your fetish. Uh, yes, but then you don't last very long because you burn to death. So yeah. um, it's, you know, flip side to everything. But <laughs> it's the same with psychological pain, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When we learn, oh, this thing really hurts me or makes me feel terrible, we know not to do it again. Or so. we take a very long time learning that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then another huge tenet of the book is problems never go away. They just improve. Ah, oh, it takes you a long time to learn this lesson. Yes, you don't date. Uh, you don't stop dating drummers. You date a better drummer. Oh, that's exactly it. <laughs> no offense, closing to drummers. my laptop. We're done. Thank you. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, better drummers. No, well, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. you don't. You don't. You don't really get to the root of the problem and identify yourself. Like, oh, I'm attracting this kind of a person. Right. Right. You blame it on that person, and then you go to the next relationship, and the same problem shows exactly. up. Exactly. And you think it's them instead of taking accountability. Oh my God, Lisa, you're literally just like dream segue goddess. So <gasps> that is my name. Hashtag dream segue goddess. <laughs> hashtag DSG. Um. So so basically. A lot of us, at least I grew up believing like, oh, all my problems will go away if X, Y, and Z, if I make a certain amount of money, if I find the right partner, whatever. But the whole idea is that whenever you, happiness comes from solving problems. That's one of his big things. Yes. So, but anytime we solve a problem, we create a new one. So for for example, if you want to spend more time with your significant other, sure, you might solve that problem by setting aside Wednesday night as date nights, right? Yes, of course. But you have then created a new problem, a better problem. How does which, we got to schedule every Wednesday night? We got to come up with something to do. We got to make it we're amazing. Something we're gonna do that we both don't hate, right? Mm-hmm. So it's this whole this whole idea of find problems that you really enjoy solving. Oh. Try to get better problems because even if you're a millionaire, you've now got 
better problems than maybe someone who's homeless, but you still have to figure out all of these other things. So the whole idea is pick a set of problems that you really enjoy solving, and that's what's going to keep you satisfied. I think P. Diddy said it best when he said, mo money, mo problems. That's right. Was it a P. Diddy or was he Puff Daddy then? It should have been mo money, better problems. Thank you. I love this idea that it's not about a problem-free life. Yeah, It's just about finding problems you like to solve. And uh, I actually think what Elizabeth Gilbert quotes him in her book, Big Magic, is it's basically everything is a shit sandwich. You just have to find the flavor of shit sandwich that you can tolerate, mm-hmm, right? That you mm-hmm. can swallow or choke this down. This guy really likes his bad words. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is very, so edgy. I'm here for it. Um, So the next thing is, what pain do you want in your life? None. Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I understand now from listening to the beginning of this book through you, is that pain is part of the human existence. Right. I feel very Buddhist right now. Totally. And that I, you know, life is suffering and that I need to uh, acknowledge that there will be a certain amount of pain in my life. Right. And that's the whole thing, right? Is like you can't avoid pain. Right. So it's up to you to choose the kind of pain you want. And obviously terrible what things happen, et cetera. What do you want? Right. But what he says, what determines your success uh, is not the question, what do you want to enjoy? Rather, the relevant question is, what pain do you want to sustain? So, for example, if you are a person who enjoys the pain of going to the gym and working out and getting in shape, you are going to enjoy the success that comes with that, yeah, right? that's not me. That's not me. Right. So, no, me either. So, to have a meaningful relationship means choosing and sustaining the pain and hard work of weathering rejections, having really uncomfortable conversations about intimacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if that's the kind of pain that you can tolerate, you are going to have success at that relationship. So many of us, though, want the reward and, and not, not the struggle. So he, he uses this story about how he wanted to be like a rock musician for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And it took him like a decade to figure out like he just wanted he didn't actually want to put in the hours of practice and lugging equipment to shitty. Yeah. To shitty gigs and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So um, he says the ones who enjoy the struggle are the ones who succeed. So choose the struggle you want, because no matter what you're doing, it's going to be a You're going to have to get up for work every day. Yeah, my mom whether it's is your, like, honey, every job has its bad qualities. Your mom is right. Okay, uh, fine. Linda, <laughs> you're right. Because I'll be like, oh, this is so frustrating today. And she'll be like, well, honey, no job is perfect. No job is That's perfect. not what I want to hear right now. No, you want to hear like there's something amazing out there. You deserve it and you're on your way. Oh, wow. That was really woo-woo. No, what I want to hear is like, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I want a practical patty in that moment. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. So uh, chapter three is called I love these chapter titles so much you are not special this guy really speaks my inner I know he's my spirit animal I know I really think you should read this book so um he talks about how many people measure self-worth by Mm self-esteem by how good they feel about themselves but the true measure of someone's self-worth is how they feel about the negative aspects of themselves so because you're unable uh, if because if you're unable to confront and accept your shortcomings, it ultimately leaves you weaker in the long run. And by the way, he never says like find your shortcomings and turn them into strengths. Like never does he say that. Mm-hmm. It's a lot about knowing yourself so that you can be honest about yourself and set yourself up for success. Like that. Like you and I have a friend who mentioned the other day when we took her to lunch that she's terrible at follow through. Mm-hmm. The fact that she knows that means she knows she has to surround herself by people who are great at following through, right? She's not changing herself, but she's setting herself up for success just by knowing that. So here's my question. Mm -hmm. 
is this a self-help book or is this like a self-assessment book? We're going to get into how to set yourself up for less fucks. Because it's, I listen, I, 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 I can totally accept that he's like, I'm not a strengths-based coach. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying find your strengths and only work with those. I'm saying accept your, your shortcomings. But then he's also not saying develop those. <laughs> no, no, no. A lot of this is just kind of like coming from where you're at, reassessing, and then we get into the value changes. All right. Which I actually think you're going to say so far. Yeah. Oh, so this is for you since you listen to Oprah. God, I love Oprah's Super Soul podcast on uh, her Oprah podcast network, which I'm pretty sure is not the name, but you can look it up. It should be. It's amazing. Um, So he says a huge part of our culture is the idea that all of us are capable of something extraordinary. We're told that as long as we manifest and meditate and lean into our destinies, that all of us are capable of something. Um, And so because of that, being average in today's society has become one of the very worst things you can possibly be. (laughs) Right? As just someone totally average. So people are afraid to accept media because they think it destines them to live a miserable life. But Mark Manson, of course, says this is untrue. Some of the most successful people become that way because they believe they are ordinary and become obsessed with self-improvement. I mean, what a boring movie that would be. Yeah, but that's that's like, that's my, but that's my total life is being like, I am nothing. So I've got to try really, really hard. You know know what I mean? I know. It's fascinating. It's just, I can see why a lot of people are kind of like, oh, yeah. Nobody yeah. nobody says, yeah, I'm average. Nobody's like, hi, yes, no. No, I'm not ever going to do anything great. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah so it's I, okay. Okay. Well, his, his whole thing is. Look, he's not wrong. The numbers are on his side. Well, and that's the thing is he <laughs> says that all of the things that permeate the media are these anomalies and these outliers who are truly extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And because we're bombarded by it, we believe everybody's supposed to be extraordinary. So we all are putting this enormous pressure on ourselves to do something incredible. Mm -hmm. And when we don't, we then feel guilty. And again, it's that whole feedback loop from hell. So I'm going to take this in the opposite direction Mm -hmm. and say just as many anomalies as there are, just as many anomalies as there are on the like uh, the uh, Michael Phelps and Mark Spitz. Mm -hmm. And they're all swimmers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm pretending like I know. I knew Michael Phelps. I didn't know. Are you ready for this? This is going to work in my favor. There's also... (laughs) The Brock Turners, also oh, a swimmer. God. But there's also the sociopaths who are the anomalies. There's mm-hmm. also the serial killers who are the anomalies. I don't want to live that life. Right. So I should be happy being the average in that regard, too. Yeah, but, and that's the whole thing, is he's like, some people would rather, like, victimize themselves and make themselves feel like the whole world is against them. Anything to feel like anywhere but More in the middle special. right right oh, so he hell yes that really changes my viewpoint yes. when somebody is a, a martyr yeah. or like a victim i'm gonna be like oh you don't feel special i'm well, gonna he, make them feel special he talks he talks about that a lot and i didn't really put it in my notes because you guys we cannot cover the entire book but it's a really good read if you can get past all the fucks um but he talks about how it is just as selfish and a form of entitlement to walk through the world feeling like everything's against you and like you're this huge victim of your circumstances, it takes just as much energy as somebody who believes that they are incredible and deserves the whole world. So he talks a lot about entitlement in mm-hmm. that way, which was really interesting because I'd never I'd never heard of someone talking about, and we're not talking about people who are victims of horrible tragedies. And, hor- you know, we're talking more about people who every time something goes wrong, it's because the universe is specifically conspiring against them. You know, that kind of viewpoint. So. Yes. Because there's also you. I, this is where my 
strategic brain comes in and says, mm-hmm. well, there are things like system- systemic oppression. Of course. No. Oh, my God. A hundred percent. It's more like, and we'll get into this in a minute, but it's more like you going, okay, here's the hand I was dealt. Mm-hmm. How can I take responsibility for how I react to it? I love it. Right? So a lot of times it's like these people are going... No, but my boss doesn't like me, and that's why I haven't gotten promoted. And that's why, you know, yeah. like, oh, I got a flat tire. And that's, it's not I like I didn't go to the mechanic. I haven't asked my boss for a promotion. You know, like <laughs> yes. those sorts of things. I give myself an excuse to not try. Right. And I just want to acknowledge, like, everybody has a different circumstance. Yes. Obviously, there are no blanket statements like yes. this. Yes. And and everybody has completely different circumstances working for and against them. I wish that more self-help books would say that. I think I would like them a lot more yeah. if they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read a lot of them that are like, if you just believe you deserve money. You just wish you And I was like, bike, and then I go, God, I must not want it enough. I know. And that's not true. No. It's not true for anyone. So um, he says, once you accept that you're not special, you're actually free to accomplish what you wish without the pressure of constantly trying to do something amazing. I love that. Which again, when you give less fucks the pressure you're just going to be more successful at it anyway you're not going to be white knuckling it yeah it's not precious right so chapter four is called the value of suffering and the main takeaway from this chapter is how we measure failure or success through our values because ultimately what we think and feel about every situation goes back to how we value it now i'm going to give you two examples of famous musicians i have a feeling like this is going to be the make or break for me i think so so uh, uh manson uses the examples of pete best who of course was kicked out of the beatles he was the original drummer for the beatles and dave Stain, who was kicked out of Metallica. He was the original lead guitarist for Metallica. So both of them were kicked out right as fame was on the precipice. I feel like their last names just did not do them any favors. Mustaine. Oh, Best is pretty cool, though. But I mean, he got kicked out of the Beatles. Yeah, He was not the best. Oh, you're honey, welcome. you don't know that. Maybe there were just personality differences. You weren't there. You're right. Let's just do them. I, I take that back. <laughs> Don't. It was a it was a terrible pun, and I use it. Right. Totally. So Pete Best has been quoted as saying that he has been happier than he ever would have been had he been in the Beatles. He's and this. Yeah, is, but he don't know that. Right. Right. But hear me out. He. This is because his values are based around having a family and a stable marriage, and compared to all the other Beatles in that regard, he is more successful than them. Right. They've all had multiple wives and sort of tumultuous things. Yes, so if that, those are truly his so values. That's yes. his value. If mm-hmm. that's how you're measuring, he really has had a great life and he's had this more stable mm-hmm. sort of personal life, mm-hmm. right? But then there's Dave Mustaine, mm-hmm. who was kicked out of Metallica. He went on, he had like the fire of God in him after this happened and mm-hmm. wanted to sort of, you know, like the best revenge is a life well lived mm-hmm. kind of thing. He went on to found the very successful band Megadeth. He's considered a pioneer in, I think it's heavy metal. Don't kill me. Yes. I feel. Yes. I don't know how many heavy metal listeners we have listening also to <laughs> self-help books, but you can correct don't judge. me if I'm wrong. Don't judge. Um, but he forever constantly measured his success against how he was doing compared to Metallica. Because when he was kicked out, he was like, I'll show you. So forever, he was measuring himself against that. So he always felt like a failure in comparison because he sold 25 million albums, Mm -hmm. but Metallica sold 180. Mm. 180 million. So even though he's a millionaire, he's getting to do what he loves full time. He's mm-hmm. a revered musician. Mm-hmm. He's considered one of the pioneers in this sound. Mm-hmm. He still he is walking around being like, I feel like a fucking failure. Listen. And isn't that interesting? It is interesting. And also 
I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I would feel this I would feel the same way. I would require a lot of therapy. Yeah. But I understand what Manson is trying to say, which is, you know, reset your values and like what is your value if your value is to be successful then what is your what is your gauge of success is it comparatively you know yeah. comparison is the thief of joy thank you Brene Brown and yes, other people yes, yes. Um, but like I understand that I understand that and I understand feeling that way because I think we all feel that way from time to time a hundred percent and I think we're again is that not again, also part of the human experience yes letting yourself feel that negative emotion yes. but then if for the next 20 years mm-hmm. you're like it's not but I'm not you. Metallica it doesn't serve you and so so this is when he gets into how we measure ourselves as a choice mm-hmm. whether we realize it or not and sometimes mm-hmm. a lot of that is just learning oh my god how why do I want to accomplish xyz why do I want to make so much money why is that important to me why or why do I snap at this person whenever they say hi to me in the morning <laughs> right 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 and it he says a lot of us just have shitty values so man's- you know what I totally relate to that this yeah. guy's winning me over listen I have two dogs who are just special in their own way and I get really down whenever I have to travel because I have to board them at a specific place who takes great care of them because they're a little squirrely, right? And I, I thought you were going to say they're little squirrels and I they're was like, little squirrels, dogs. but I call them dogs. Right. They're my dogs, whatever. I, they <laughs> fell out of a tree in a nest, but I wanted dogs. Um, no, they're a little squirrely. And like, I used to beat myself up for being like, I didn't raise them better. And finally, my best friend was like, these are the dogs you have. And the the care that they require is this. Right. So you're actually doing a great job of giving them the care that they require when you travel. Look at that. And I was like, cool. I mean, sometimes I'm still like, why can't I just... Right. You know, have a friend to come over. That's that's not the dogs I have. You right. know what I mean? And I'm actually giving them exactly what they need. And did you feel better? No, after you because it about costs that? a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel better knowing that like I'm actually doing for them what they need. And in that sense, I am a very successful mm-hmm. uh, dog guardian, but right. it still costs a lot more. And yeah, I, and you that, created a new problem for I yourself. I created a new problem that's for myself. Right. That's, that's right. right. Um, so he talks about how a lot of us measure ourselves by shitty values, right? Mm-hmm. So just then you were like, oh, God, like... A good dog guardian has perfect dogs that can that you can just have a friend right. come over and let them out. Right. If my dogs aren't perfect, then maybe there's something wrong with me. Yes. I've done this, right? And then you're in that feedback loop. So he talks about... Uh, he defines shitty values as values that are outside of our control, Mm -hmm. like popularity, Mm -hmm. pleasure, material success, Mm -hmm. staying positive, and always being right as examples. And then he talks about how good values are reality-based and controllable. So, for example, honesty is a good value because you have complete control over it, and it's based in reality. I mean, do I have complete control over it? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's Maybe not. A couple glasses of wine in, and you're just telling me like it is. It feels like the part of the human existence is to not always feel like you can be honest. Absolutely. Yes. And especially in America, he talks about how in Russia, everybody just values trust a lot more. Yeah. So they're super, they'll just be like, what you said is so stupid. Yeah. And nobody takes offense. Everybody's upfront with you. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because when we know everybody around us is acting according to a certain set of rules, yeah. I think it does create a bit of distrust because I'm going, but what's really on Lisa's mind? Or what did he right, really think right, about right, right. what I said? I hope I didn't offend him. He said he wasn't offended, but is he offended? You know, yeah. it's, this whole, it's this whole thing. But so he says, so honesty is a good value because you've got control over it based in reality. Yeah. Popularity is a bad value because you have no control over it. And it's not based in reality because even if you feel like you are the 
most popular woman at the party. I have so many you, followers on Instagram. A hundred percent. But you don't know how they actually feel about you. Yeah. It's just in your perception. Yeah. So um, he talks about... He talks about how honesty, innovation, vulnerability, curiosity, creativity, if these are the values we're measuring our life by, Mm -hmm. we're going to be a lot happier than if it's things outside of us, right? I mean, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you and you might notice that the good values, a lot of them are achieved internally. Yeah. And the shitty values are achieved externally. Yeah, because we don't have control over them. Right. So, one of the examples he gives is like, if you are saying, I want to be the most popular person at this party. Super shitty value. You can't control anything that happens or Mm -hmm. what anyone thinks of Mm -hmm. you. But if your value is instead, I want to improve my social life and I'm going to consider myself a winner and a success if I'm having more fun and meeting more people. If I talk to three people at this party. That's something you can control. So I thought that was really interesting. Like, what is the bar we set for ourselves and how impossible do we make it Mm -hmm. to get there or how much of that power do we give to other people? Yeah. You know what I mean? So that was something that was really um, interesting for me. So he says that choosing better values is how you choose what to give a fuck about. Mm. And because when you do, you get better problems and solving better problems is what gives you a better life. Right? So it's all starting to gel. God, this guy's got like a domino effect. He's only 35. Did you say that? And I'm not being ageist. I'm just proud and in awe and... I love that you're proud of him. Definitely not engaging in negative self-talk in my brain. (laughs) Definitely not. Make a new problem for yourself. Totally. So uh, chapter five, we're flying right along. It's called You Are Always Choosing. How many chapters are there? There's nine. 25. What? Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. There's nine. There's nine. And the other one's really the setup I wanted to get into a lot more Mm -hmm. because that's the foundation of it. And then these ones will fly. Chapter five. Yes. So take responsibility for everything. So we don't always control what happens to us, but we do control how we interpret it and then how do we react to it. So um, choosing not to respond to an event in your life is still a choice. You're still making a choice whether you believe you are or not. So I'm going to get into the difference between responsibility and blame in a second as outlined by Mark. Um, Oh, I know the difference. Oh, well, then I guess we don't have to say it at all. Responsibility is what I want to take credit for and blame is what I don't. That's right. Yes. Excellent. That's right. That's right. It's a it's a, really just a smorgasbord. You can pick and choose. Yes. Yeah. So he says, basically, the more responsibility we take for what happens in our lives, the more power we have over our experiences. So mm. um, here are a couple of examples he gives of this. Yes, because I'm a little leery, so tell me. I know you are. And he also talks about, again, like deep personal tragedy versus something a little bit lighter. So, for example... He gives he he tells the story of a man who was born very short statured, very short statured. That's his fault. That's totally his (laughs) fault. He chose that. He was in the womb. He pressed the wrong button, came out. You know what I mean? So um, so he but he walked around being like he his value was that women only wanted to date someone who was tall or at least wasn't as short as he was. So he walked around just resenting women and always being mad at them and never opening himself up to those experiences. Sure. Sure. And so although it was not his fault that he was born this way, he was choosing to interact with the world this way as opposed to inter- like walk- presenting himself as a man that women might want to talk to and spend time with and get to know. Yes. Right? I agree. He's kind of leaving out that critical component of a lot of self-work. And how is his jawline? And <laughs> how much money does he have? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no, like he's leaving out that critical component of 
self-worth and the self-work to get to that place. Totally. A hundred percent. But it sounds like he has a certain value and just shut off everything else and just compared his life. He wasn't open to changing that value. It's not like he was like, he came out of the womb, short statured and decided, well, I'm not green and women only want to talk to somebody who's green. Right. It's not like he invented No, no, no. He absolutely Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. But he just kind of took his values to be fact as opposed to going, you know what? A lot of women value a good listener and I am going to go be the world's best listener. And you know what I mean? Like there are things you can do. I'm in complete agreement, but I feel like it's a, it's an unfair leap to expect people to get there on their own and to expect people to do that without a you good know, therapist. A good we therapist, all need to be in therapy. Or like a lot of self-workers somewhere, you know, like yeah. whether you're through AA or, with the, you know, any kind of recovery program or therapy or group therapy or Al-Anon or whatever it is to start to realize that you don't have control over things and it is the way that you respond to them. Yeah. Just because I don't know how you would expect a person to get to that right. on their own. Right. Just to say, suddenly be like, oh, the entire way that I view the world is just a, is just a, a veneer. Totally. Totally. So this sets us up for the fault responsibility fallacy. Mm -hmm. Um, So we are often responsible for things that are not our fault. Yes. So for instance, if someone drops a baby on your doorstep... Like it literally is not, drops them. Yes, but hopefully in like a well cushioned bassinet okay, wrapped I up, what you mean. not just because like it's if somebody else drops a baby, that is not my fault. Yeah, no, no, it's not. No, okay. it's always Lisa's fault. I got whenever very someone drops about a baby. that about babies, totally I once dropped a baby. So he talks about we are not at fault that this baby has been dropped on our doorstep. It's not our fault. But guess what? That baby's now our responsibility. What we choose to do with it for life. Well. It's your responsibility. Oh Do you God. call the police? I am having crazy levels of anxiety thinking about this. Yes, yes. And Lisa, this is the time to reveal I brought a baby <gasps> for you. Okay. <laughs> I just pulled right. one out of my we bag. We could drop them off at the local fire. You or could put a them up for adoption. You can call or, the cops. You can choose hospital. to take care of them. You can do nothing at all, which is still a choice, right? Don't do nothing. Bring the you baby could inside. Shut the door. That's right. Bye. And hide. Okay, I, I I see. So what you choose to do with it? Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, fine. yeah. So fault this, and responsibility. this is this is basically just a provocative example to show fault versus responsibility. So he says the difference between these two concepts is that fault is past tense. It's already happened. It's been determined by decisions that have been made. And we spend a lot of time in that past Re- where we don't, it doesn't serve us. Yes, and then responsibility is present tense. Um, and what what are we going to do about it to solve this? problem? Exactly, exactly. So you know, if if something terrible happens to you and you're in a ton of pain. Yes. It's not your fault. So he he uses his personal tragedy was uh, he had, and of course, this is different than someone passing away, et yeah. cetera, but he he was madly in love with this woman. They had been dating for three years. He found out she was cheating on him with her teacher, and when he confronted her about it, she just left him for his teacher. So it was her fault. Wait, her teacher or his teacher? Her teacher. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, either way, it really sucks. I mean, it's, listen, yeah. <laughs> I'm quibbling about details that are unimportant, but, but it added a whole layer of stuff. so juicy. The point is, is that... He did done got wrong. Yes, he did. But he then realized that his happiness or unhappiness was now his responsibility. He could blame her all he wanted. Sure. But no matter what he did, he was never going to come back. She was never going to come back into his life and do things that would make him happy. Because he never watched a rom-com. Right. I know. I know. He just didn't. He just didn't do it right, clearly. So so he took it upon himself to self-improve and find things that fulfilled him and try and get himself out of, like, the black hole of grief and that situation. Okay. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But again, 
he even says, no matter what the tragedy is, eventually you have a choice. Yeah. Are you going to stay horribly, you know, sad and kept away from the world forever? Yeah. Or are you going to go choose to try and repair and rebuild? Um. So, yeah, really, really interesting thinking about blame versus responsibility. Because yeah. I hadn't ever differentiated the two before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, yeah. And by the way, he uses the example of Malala Yousafzai yeah. for, for a woman who had a terrible tragedy happen to her. Mm-hmm. And she could have just gone, I can't go back out. The Taliban has mm-hmm. shot me in the face mm-hmm. and wanted me to die. If I mm-hmm. do this, they'll kill my family. Mm-hmm. And instead, she she took responsibility into her own hands for her own actions, and she kept speaking out. So, um, yeah, he's you know, Malala, you're amazing. We love you. Uh, chapter six. You're wrong about everything, but so am I. So, so why did I read these first five <laughs> chapters? <laughs> so basically, this is all about growth. Is all about failure, and we should all be seeking to fail so that we can get better and learn more. Great. So he talks about rejection hurts, failure sucks, but there are there are particular certainties we all hold on to for comfort, mm-hmm. and this was the part of the book where I literally said, "Holy shit!" out loud in my car, and okay. I'll tell you why. Okay. So, for example, a man wants a promotion, but he never asks his boss for it. Um, be, and he does this because it's more comfortable to, for him to hold on to the belief mm-hmm. that he deserves to be promoted and he would kick ass at that job mm-hmm. than it is for him to actually confront his skills and ask for his skills to be evaluated in a realistic way. Okay. Right? So um, That discomfort is too great for him. Right. And so the same goes for dating, right? A woman who is lonely may never actually go out on a date because she will be forced to confront the truth of her own desirability. I'm sitting right here. (laughs) (laughs) Love you. It's like you're sitting there and going, it's more comforting to get the thought, I could get a man whenever I wanted. I I could have great sex if I wanted, et cetera. Rather than saying, I'm going out there and I'm putting myself on the line and finding out nobody wants me. Yeah, well, so yeah. that that's something that really resonated with me because it's like there's so many things I want to do in my life. Yeah. But this thought of I'd be great at that and I know I'd kick ass at that is so much more comforting and warm and easy than actually going out and maybe learning I'm not as good as I think I am at those things. Ooh. Do you know what I mean? I do. And I know what he means by that. And he's not wrong. Yeah. It's basically about short-term comfort, staying in short-term comfort, rather than going out and confronting these things for your longer-term happiness. Again, he's not wrong. Right, And right. I am, again, going to play this privilege card. Yes, yeah. Because when men typically get better raises, it's proven, it's scientifically proven, they get paid more when they ask for more. Yeah. They typically ask for more. Yeah. They get paid more. They are offered more. Um, it's it's. I think it's an easier shift for somebody to think that yeah. when there aren't systemic things in place. And again, you are 100% right saying like, of course these are, and, and those are kind of examples in a, in a vacuum. But I, I, for me, that's also what's hard about self-help books is that they're like, well, what about this example in a vacuum? And I'm like, but I don't live in a vacuum. Right, yeah. I live in a real world yeah. where, you know, I I've I've been on dating apps and I get zero yes zero con, you know right. replies to right. things and it's not like I'm not out there trying yes but then for me to 
take that information and I don't, I, 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 I guess I'm trying to think of like through the filter of him, like what would that require me to do? Do you know what well, I he's mean? Not, he's not saying confront it and fix it. You know what I'm saying? He's yeah. just saying notice. Enjoy if being you lonely. Enjoy being lonely. <laughs> You're on your own. Go fuck yourself. Bye. I don't give a fuck about you. Thank no, you. but he's basically saying like, be aware when you are sitting here in your own comfort zone Mm -hmm. and thinking that it's other people's fault that this isn't happening for you, et cetera. Or it's just more comfortable to sit here and go, but I could if I wanted to, rather than going out there and trying. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. In a vacuum. Yes. Because I think there are many people who say, I want that job. I could have that job. Yeah. My boss doesn't um, promote women. Yeah. Yes. Oh no, no, no. Do you know that, what I'm saying? That is totally a hundred percent. And so true. that's then yeah. then I wonder, and this is a little esoteric if I'm using that word correctly. Then I'm wondering like how does a self help book like this when I read that, if I'm a woman who works in a place that has been sued by the EEOC that had proven that they systemically did not promote women. Yeah. If I'm a woman and I read this book, then I think, okay, well, what am I doing that I'm 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 keeping myself safe? But am I like, am I being a victim because I'm thinking about this thing and not taking accountability? That's where I get a little a little out of whack with some of this stuff because I have a very strategic brain and so sure. I immediately start to think of these. Yeah, things. super logical. And he's not wrong, but I also think sometimes if I, I were reading that, I would be like. How do how do I rectify that? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's 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 a great thing to bring up. I, I think I think there are absolutely situations where you're going, oh no, I'm not trying for this because there literally isn't any point, and it will ruffle the wrong feathers and make my life yeah, worse. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think he's talking about those people who are being smart about it. I think he's talking about people who are sort of self deluding themselves. Great. Again, not being honest about the situation and what's happening. Great. Um, I guess I just want. Self-help books to be a little more intersectional. A hundred percent. Thank you. (laughs) And we will absolutely cover, I am so excited to cover critiques of self-help books, et cetera. So when I was studying women's studies in college, I read uh, The Feminine Mystique by (gasps) Betty Friedan. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was like, oh, my God, this Mm -hmm. is right. She Mm -hmm. is amazing. How amazing. Mm -hmm. And then I read, I think it was a Gloria Steinem critique from women of color Mm -hmm. on the feminine Mm -hmm. mystique. And they were like, hi, yeah, no, that book only applies to like upper middle class white women who don't work and want to have jobs. We've been working three jobs this whole time. We don't have a choice to stay in the home or not. And it was just, I cannot, and that blew my mind in a whole other, it was this whole awakening of like, oh my God, there are so many perspectives and I'm so excited excited to cover books that cover totally different perspectives are intersectional yeah yeah, yeah. it's gonna you guys it's gonna be amazing i know i'm sorry i just keep i've there's a piece of me that's like i i have to speak no absolutely absolutely great thank you um so manson just says that instead of striving for instead of striving for certainty we should be in constant search of doubt okay we should doubt our own beliefs and feelings and instead of looking to be right all the time we should be looking to be wrong all the time i love that i do too i do too he says because A, we are wrong all the time and B, the more we embrace being uncertain, the more comfortable we will feel in knowing what we don't know. Yes. And I think that's so... Tolerating ambiguity is like the best thing you can do. Yes. Tolerating discomfort Mm -hmm. is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself Mm -hmm. because everything becomes a little easier. Mm -hmm. Everything Mm -hmm. goes, oh yeah, this is uncomfortable, but you know what? I'm used to feeling uncomfortable. That's why the minute I uh, go to bed, I pour half-formed jello in my bed because that is ambiguous and uncomfortable. And I learn how to tolerate it. Half? 
porn jello? I'm going to say yes. What did you say? I put half porn <laughs> formed. I said formed, half but I like. Formed. Here's the thing. In the sheets. I'm going slightly deaf because we've grown up with Walkmans and, 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 oh my you know, God, in-ear Walkmans. things. And, and here's the thing. Um, embrace going deaf because what you hear is so much more delightful. So half porn jello is my new Herald It could name. be, it, and porn could be like the sexy kind or it could be like poured, but like elegantly. Porn. Half porn jello. Take your half porn jello. Get into the sheets, into your gelatinous yeah. cocoon. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, chapter seven. Woo! Failure is the way forward. Ooh. So he talks about the failure success paradox. Mm-hmm. Improvement at anything is based on thousands of tiny failures. Of course. So I heard, I, the first time I heard this, somebody was saying to be an expert at anything means you have just failed in every way you can possibly fail. Yeah, think about like Thomas Edison had like over a thousand patents, but we only know like a few. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I could be totally wrong, but I feel like I watched a documentary recently and he was just a dick. Like Thomas Edison's <laughs> like a big dick. <laughs> big dick energy. Oh, because oh, he made the light. Girl, I got it. I got oh, it. Sorry. Yes. Keep Listen, your shimmy I, happening. I value a joke based on how much you have to explain. Right. It. I know. But I, I, I was raised. Failure was it totally, just totally dismissed. You never wanted to fail. You never wanted to be a failure. Mm. Like second place may as well be last. <gasps> I mean, that's not that's not by my parents. That my parents are amazing. The but culture. The culture. And so it wasn't until I was an adult, and my sister is this incredible teacher uh, for a, co- a school called Con Lab School mm-hmm. up in Mountain View, and mm-hmm. they have ConAcademy.com. <gasps> I love the Con Academy. Con Academy is amazing, you guys. You can learn anything. Mm-hmm. Hashtag Con Academy. <laughs> Um, that you really reframed the way that was the first time that she ever said oh no 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 we welcome failure failure is the best thing we celebrate failure Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it's true nobody is born knowing what to do and so um, he talks about avoiding failure is something we learn later in life we're Mm -hmm. not born avoiding failure so otherwise we would never learn how to crawl or walk that's exactly he says think of a child learning to walk (gasps) none of them fail I'm Matt Manson you're Mark Manson. Oh, well, I'm Matt, his brother. Uh, yeah, th- you, you would never, you would not, if we, we fell the first time we tried to walk, we would yeah, never do it again. No no baby goes, mm, I guess walking's just not for me. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to crawl. But that's exactly why yeah. adults don't pick up an instrument because they're not going to be great at it right yes. away. And they think that that means they're bad and they don't they don't like the feeling of being totally, bad. Totally, totally. And so he says failure and pain is what helps us grow. Just like physical pain can help us grow stronger muscles, so too can the emotional pain of failure help us develop resilience Mm. so he says we can only be truly successful at something if we're willing to fail at it and this all goes back to good versus shitty values if your value is for everyone to like you you will fail but if your value is I want to improve my social life and I'm gonna keep trying until I get there that's something you can control what if I do both and cancel it out it just ends up with a net zero I think you're just gonna have a roller coaster of a week but that's okay oh it sounds like I'm doing it because that is my life. That's right. I've had a really weird week too. Okay, great. So, okay, chapter eight, almost yes, there. Yes. The importance of saying no. Yeah. Right? So the act so of- So here, I don't want to hear this chapter. <laughs> Moving on, everyone. Your chapter face. nine. No, just kidding. Your face is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, can I just say, yeah. I, uh, I meant to say this up top, but like, I am so excited about this podcast because, like, I'm basically in pajamas. I have no makeup. My hair is super greasy, and I'm feeling fabulous because no one can see me. Well, they know now what you look like. Oh no! Oh, I'm wearing. I'm I'm wearing a a perfectly ironed silk ball gown. (laughs) 
and diamonds. Do you remember what Madonna looked like on her Vogue tour? Mm. That bra is what I'm wearing all over. Just 18 of those bras. Those pointy bras. That's it. And weird, weird Walmart flip-flops. Yes. Um, So he says the act of choosing a value for yourself requires rejecting alternate values. So um, we all must give a fuck about something in order to value anything. And in order to value something, we must reject what is not that something. So this is really basic, right? sounds like math. Right, I know. So he says our identities are defined by what we reject. And when I was listening to this, it reminded me of uh, maybe a simpler quote to sum this up, saying no to certain things for a bigger yes. Yeah. Right? So that's something we can all relate to. In math, they call this degrees of freedom. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Great. I don't know that at all, but I'm going to say absolutely, Lisa. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) My math majors know what I'm talking about. Right. Yes, I do. Hello. Hashtag equations. The desire to not reject anything. And instead live in cohesion and always try and feel positively. Mm-hmm. And I think we all know a few of those people. Mm-hmm. To do that is to subtly believe that you are entitled to feel good all the time oh. is what Fuck he says. those people. Right. So Manson believes entitled people live a valueless, shallow, <gasps> and self-absorbed life in order to pretend the suffering away. Oh, my God. That makes so much sense does right it? now in this country. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, because you go... You're, because if you if we do believe that suffering and pain are part of the human experience, then to always be like, no, everything's fine. The house is on fire. It's yeah. 150 degrees in here. It's fine. Or or it's fine for those people to suffer. Yeah, it's fine for those people to suffer because that's not my thing. And it's that's like, right. guys, I no. don't do that. I didn't do the thing that caused them to suffer. Yeah, abs- so I won't suffer. Absolutely. And again, this was the first time that I'd ever heard of this this idea that like people who are super positive or people who feel like they're victims of their circumstances are entitled. I'd never thought of it that way before. I do like so, that. Yeah, it's still sinking in for me. So um, then he quickly gets into the paradox of choice, Thank which you. I think a lot of us have heard of. Too many cereals. A hundred percent, right? So the more choices we have, the less happy we become with the option we choose. So if I go, Lisa, you can either live in Paris or you can live in Tahiti. Pick one of these. You're going to pick one. Split my body in two and let me live in both. Put my legs in Tahiti and my torso in Paris. Thank you. Um, But you're going to feel really good about the option you chose because you could weigh the pros and cons, et cetera. But if I go, Lisa, here's a list of 20 countries you can live in for the rest of your life. Pick. You are going to spend at least a few years, if not the rest of your life, wondering if you made the right choice. Dartboard. Yeah. (laughs) Dartboard. Absolutely. And then you're like, why is it Kentucky? (laughs) Um, I say that because uh, my my grandparents are from Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky's great, guys. Great food. Great people. Is that where your British grandmother lives and makes tea? No. No. Nana, also known as Banana, uh, whom I love with my full heart and soul, is in Florida. But she married a man That's who right. was born and raised in Kentucky. Okay. So they met when he was in the Air Force. Okay. And she like married an American soldier and like Ooh. had a lot of babies. Ooh la la. And here we are, everyone. You're an anchor baby. You're an ascendant of an anchor baby. Oh, really? What does I'll that tell mean? you about it on the break. Let's Okay, great. Okay, great. So, um, so uh, as he was talking about the paradox choice, mm-hmm. I was the only thing that I could think, my brain was screaming, this is why I don't eat at the Cheesecake Factory. Because <laughs> the menu is 27 pages long. I don't know how those, whoever works at the Cheesecake Factory, you deserve a medal. You are amazing. It is like a freaking thesis paper. Did you know and that I, my best friend from college worked there for 20 years? 
20 years. She ascended all the way to like area manager and then she recently left. And did it take her that full length to memorize the menu? (laughs) No, but they have major tests because it's, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's unbelievable. And I also feel like I have to like read everything on the menu to decide before. So I just, and they change it quarterly. Oh my God. I I shouldn't have told you that. I almost threw up. So. He talks he he talks a lot about how he used to be wandering all around the world and sure. he wanted this breadth of experience sure. and that after he committed he learned about the depth of experience and how that was more satisfying to him. So he talks about how the breadth of experience has diminishing returns. So sure. in his case, the first time you leave your home country and you go to visit another country, it can be this super incredible perspective shifting thing. Sure. But once you've gone to 10 countries, your 11th country is not that different from your 10th, right? It has these sort of diminishing returns sure, on value. Sure. So um, he just talks about uh, commitment gives us freedom because we're no longer distracted by the frivolous and the unimportant. We're no longer concerned about all the other choices we have. And we're no longer worried about chasing more, more, and more. Because when you're not getting a deep experience, you're rather having a breadth of shallow experiences. You're always chasing that other high. Mm -hmm. So he says, this is how the rejection of alternatives liberates us. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached chapter nine. Damn. The final chapter. It's called, And Then You Die. Well, he's not wrong. He's also he's I I love how despite your best efforts to like come at this book, you're like, and I agree. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah. So he talks about a defining experience he had when a friend of his died suddenly when he was a teenager, and he says that without death, everything would feel inconsequential. Sure. Right. So that feels pretty universal. He talks about a concept from a scientist named Ernest Becker called death terror, which is the deep existential anxiety that underlines everything we think or do, which I can relate to so freaking hard. He (laughs) says he says we have two selves, the physical self that we know will not live forever. Mm -hmm. And then there's the conceptual self that we all try to keep alive forever. So this is why people work so hard to put their names on buildings and to have huge families um, and that kind of effort to try and get your conceptual self to live forever mm-hmm. as like a brand sort of, those are called immortality projects. That's what the scientist Becker calls them. He says that wars and revolutions and mass murders happen when one group's immortality project rubs up against another's, which I thought was really interesting. All right. Right? So. Uh, I'm not 100% on board with Becker. Sure, but sure, I'll sure. We'll it. gloss over it. This is light, funny comedy podcast. <laughs> In other words, we're all driven by fear to care way too much about everything and to give less fucks is to reach a sort of spiritual state of embracing the impermanence of one's own existence. I mean, I feel like that makes sense because, come on, we're evolved to some degree mm-hmm. where there's approaching 8 billion people on the planet. Oh my God. Um, you know, we're not, we're not, most of us aren't in a position where we are surviving day to day. Right. So we don't have we 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 have the luxury of problems. A hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Statistically, there are a ton of people without even their basic needs met. And That's so, right. Absolutely. Um, he quotes. <laughs> I'm going to move on from that with a Mark Twain quote. He uh, he says that the idea is that once we accept that we're going to die, we'll be free from the terror, 
that drives all of our decisions and be able to choose our own values more freely. So sure. basically just going, I'm mortal yeah. and I won't live forever. And so I'm not going to care about the grocery store clerk who was rude to me. And I'm not going to care about the guy who cut me off in traffic. I'm going to go right back to focusing on the things I want to. So he quotes Mark Twain, who says, the fear of death follows from the fear of life. A man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time, mm-hmm. which eh, I don't know. I still think maybe for living a great life, you don't necessarily want to die. Mm-hmm. So he ends the book with saying that without acknowledging death, the superficial will appear important and the important will appear superficial. Death is the only thing we can know with any certainty and as such is the compass by which we should orient all of our values. I mean, it's a little morbid. It's a, it is. And he really, talk about a shit sandwich, he kind of does a death sandwich, like death up at the top, death at the end. Just don't forget you're going to die. So with he's, shit in the middle. Death it's, it's death bread right. with shit in the middle. Right. Yes. Oh my God. Sounds delicious. With it's a little on Thousand Island menu, on top. But it's like a secret item. You have to know how to order it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Off menu. Um, happiness comes from caring about something greater than yourself. Mm -hmm. according to Mark Manson, feeling like you're contributing to something bigger and always being aware that death is around the corner. And that is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, A Counterintuitive Approach to Living a Good Life, by Mark Manson. Okay, this that was a brilliant review. Um, I have a few questions for you. I will maybe not be able to answer them. If you had one key takeaway from this book, what is it? I think to sum it up in one sentence, it would just be focus on what matters to you. I love that. That's it. If there was one thing that you're still like, doesn't sit with me, what is it? It is so hard to detach from the material things because it's like we also live in a capitalistic society. A hundred percent. Well, it's one of those things where it's like, do I, is it helpful for me to spend a lot of time looking up used Lexus SUVs online? No, it's not. Uh, But also, does it bring you joy? Would it bring me ultimate joy? I think I would still cry in my car a lot. You guys, I cry a lot. I'd still cry in my car. I'd still be like, great, I'm in a traffic jam from Burbank per the use. In a nicer car. But would it like, you know, yeah. And so that's, that's the kind of thing where it's like, I do feel like I have a certain amount of self-awareness and I do know what's important to me and I have experienced extreme and sudden and tragic loss. Yeah. And I still would like um, the like a 2016 NX200T with uh, beige leather, maybe a black exterior. This sounds like math to Lexus, me. Lexus, if you're listening, send one over. Okay. I'll let you know. Um, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, who is this book great for and who is this book wrong for? So this book, Lisa, is great for you uh-huh. and anybody who is a skeptic for self-help books. So yeah. I have let I have read a lot of lighter books that are like, look in the mirror four times a day, tap on your eyebrows barf, simultaneously barf, and say, I am love. Scream barf. And that is not, this is not, if you... If you do not like swear words and a lot of shock value, it's not for you. But if you just want a dose of reality that is grounded in, and this is not like, mm-hmm. this is not the universe is looking out for you. He never says the word universe in this book, at oh, least not to my knowledge. Thank you. Right. So this actually reminded me a lot of a book called The Defining Decade, Why Your 20s Matter and How to Make the Most of Them Now. And this book that of I read, course, of course you read that I read book. back in like 2012, this book was like, ladies, I want to be real with you you're only fertile for so long no. you can't fuck around in your 20s or oh. da, da, da. but it wasn't in like a you need to get married and have a husband right it was just like just know your choices basically and it was really grounded in like it, it this kind of reminds me of like 
maybe a grandpa sitting down and being like, in my day, we knew we weren't trying to reach for the stars. We were just trying not to die. And we that's were like average. Red. Yeah. And we died. Yeah. We were average. We had a modest home and we worked as plumbers and that was good enough. We valued friendship and then we died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. this is the equivalent of like. Okay, I love that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to ask you what you embraced from this book that you started doing immediately and did it have an impact? Sure. So actually it's, it's funny because this book is a little less like I'm going to go out and try this today. You know what I mean? Cause it's like a whole, a whole value shift. But yesterday I was on, uh, the way to a friend's game night. Mm -hmm. I have this amazing friend who, who throws these very curated and beautiful game nights. I'm great at games. Oh, well, you're invited. Thank uh, you. Jesse, if you're listening, can we please get Lisa Linky on the list? Thanks so much. Thank you. Um, but these only happen once a month and mm-hmm. they're invite only and you can't really cancel last minute because mm-hmm. it throws off the number of people sure, in the games. Sure. So I'd had a long day and I I was just a little hormonal and feeling exhausted. I hadn't gotten enough sleep and all of the fears and worries that I was feeling bubbled up under the surface. And I was crying on my way to game night and I was like, oh fuck like this is how I'm about to walk into a room full of people and I want them to I want to put on a good face you know what I mean but instead I just went in there and I was like I'm not going to try to hide it I'm going to give less fucks about hiding this because I don't care what they think I just want to be honest with myself I Mm. gave more fucks about being honest to myself in that moment and taking care of yourself that and also just seeing like how do people I was curious how will people respond to me if I walk in and I walked in and somebody said do you want something to drink and I said well what do you have and and he said oh well we've got you know LaCroix and we've got white wine and we've got and I said is it Sauvignon Blanc and my friend just turned to me and he goes oh honey and he gave me a big hug and he poured me a glass of wine and was like there you go and again, gave me the dignity of my own experience. And so Damn. that was something. And guess what? Everybody had a great time at game night. I had a great time at game night. I but cried I was, through the whole thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just bawling the whole time. But seriously, can I. You, can you move my token three spaces, please? Can you please just write this down? Can you do the charade for me? But it was it was really interesting because I, I come from a very upbeat family and yeah. we're always trying to compete yeah. for like who's the funniest. And so to just be and still have everybody have a great time, respond to me in a really positive way. And then my friend that I had invited as my plus one texted me after and was like, I had such a great time. I can't wait to hang out with you again next week. And for me, that was such a learning lesson because it's like, I wasn't on. You didn't Do you know what I mean? I wasn't on yourself. and it was enough. Yeah, that's great. So that was really cool. Um, I feel like we should give credit where credit's due. So if you want to read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, uh, uh, Lisa and I looked up the prices right before we started recording true, this episode. True. So right now, the hardcover uh, on Amazon.com is $14.98. The Kindle is $12.99. The audiobook is $23.95. Or if you're an Audible subscriber, you can get it for a credit. And I think a credit is like 15 bucks a month, something like that. Don't quote me on that. Or my very favorite thing, there's an app called Overdrive. It's the library app. It's free. It's available on Overdrive. Um, all you have to do is have a library card. You sign in with your library card. You can check out audiobooks right to your phone or Kindle books right to your Kindle. They're loaned to you for three weeks. Sometimes there's a little wait list like there normally is at a library, but you never have to go into the library. Books are all digital. It's amazing. Highly recommend. And the paperback is $8.15. <gasps> Girl, yes. Um, what I would like a challenge from this book. What yeah. do you challenge me to do this week? And if people are listening um, and that they can, I'm going to report back 
uh, on a, a, a next time or in the future to tell like what I embraced and what I tried. I would love for you to identify what pain you want in your life, choose your struggle, and for a week, focus more on what that struggle is. I'm writing that down. Repeat it one more time, please. Choose your pain. <laughs> you sound like you're in a <laughs> Batman movie. What pain do I want in my life? Uh-huh. Basically, I want you to figure out what struggle you enjoy and just become more aware of like, because, you know, what problems do you enjoy solving more? Because I think that's really good to yeah, know. I think that is good to know. Okay, great. Well, I will report back to you and let you know how that went. Amazing. And then I think just before we wrap up our very first episode. Hooray! Hooray! I was just thinking we could end on like a quote that sort of maybe resonated with us or that feels relevant right now. Mm -hmm. So one that I found that just fucking struck me in the core of my being is a quote by Rumi. Mm -hmm. And it's, the wound is the place where the light enters you. Ooh, Rumi. No, I mean, like, Ruby's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that. Tell me why you feel like that's resonating for you right now. Well, I think uh, I think I've been feeling just really raw, and I'm always reevaluating my priorities and my goals and what I'm working towards in my life. And feeling really raw and and wounded and failing at things does make you stronger. And so it was just such a nice visual to think, oh, but when I'm wounded – that's literally I was literally picturing like a beam of light coming through that like open wound I might have mm -hmm. and just filling me with strength. Yeah. And I thought that was so cool because it's like, oh, right. And if I'm not wounded, light's not entering me. Well, so, that's the opportunity, right? Right. right. That's the 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 human experience is pain and that discomfort is the necessity and that that drives you to change. Right. <clears throat> I have one that's Please. actually from um, a friend. Great. Um, and I. Uh, this kind of relates a little bit um, about values. Um, my friend Angel sent me, uh, she said that her mom always said, the downer you feel, the higher the heel. That's right. Amen. And I yes. love that because what she's valuing isn't high heels. She's valuing making yourself feel great like right taking putting you know it's easy when you feel down to just be like you said in cheetos crusted pants Yo, for three days always always but it's hard to wear high heels and sweats <laughs> totally totally so leaning into your self-worth yes and picking your, yourself up that's exactly right i love that i love yeah. that um thank you so much everybody for oh coming on this journey of the very first episode yes. there will be many more mm -hmm. super excited for the next book we're gonna do two no spoilers mm -hmm. um and i guess i just want to say that as lisa linky always says Life is abundant. Oh, that is what I do say. <laughs> and now I'm going to say, so fuck it. Yeah, so fuck it. it. But it works so well, whether it's like life is really shitty right now. It's true. It's just like life is abundant. It's true. Yeah. Okay, everybody. Yay. Bye. 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 Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias, Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. 
Twitter at G-H-Y Podcast. Or check out our website, GoHelpYourselfPodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.